Anyways, so uh, there's a list. So it seems. So it would seem. I'm really, I'm really curious to see how long we go today. I can't decide whether this is a long list or a short list. Um, well, sometimes we do best without a list. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying, and you know, sometimes, yeah. So it, it all depends we, we, on. We could do, we could do our, our two minute shuffles. No. <laughs> no. Lightning round. Put one out of the hat. Give it two minutes. I don't. I don't. I don't want to do Alex Trebek today. You guys couldn't do only two minutes on one of these subjects if your lives depended on it. Um, okay. Well, Anyways, I, I bet I could get one of them commented on in 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 everything I need to say in less than thirty seconds. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's one of them like that. But uh, <laughs> <coughs> well, what are we going to do the rest of the hour and a half? Yeah, I know, right? Huh? It doesn't need to be an hour and a half. Doesn't need to be an hour. No, and a half. that's true. That's yeah. true. Well, hey, great. It's been fun. Uh, TTFN. Talk to you soon. I know. Talk to you guys later. All right. I'm going to get a beer. So uh, a couple episodes ago, and more than a couple episodes ago, a bunch of episodes ago, we were talking about animals wandering onto runways, right? And uh, what was it? It was like a plink, a pink, a plink, a pink flamingo or or a flock. (laughs) It gets even tougher. A flock of pink flamingos. Say that three times fast. A flock Uh of pink flamingos wandered onto the runway. I happen to remember that it was Manchester, because I thought maybe it was Manchester, New Hampshire, but it was actually Manchester, England. And and sort of a Benny Hill episode ensued, right? And Mm -hmm. now, um, apparently, a bunch of turtles wandered onto the runway at JFK, and uh, and forced the closure of the runway for a little while. Let's see. Now I'm reading from uh, the New York Times. Delays at JFK? Question mark. This time, blame turtles. Uh, runway four left at Kennedy International Airport was closed for more than an hour on Wednesday morning. The, the cause, turtles. So apparently, a whole bunch of these turtles were like, it's the mating thing. Everybody's seen this on Discovery Channel, right? Well, it, it bears pointing out that this actually happened late June. So this isn't something where there's extra turtle soup on the New York menu right now. Yeah. They've already done that. I see. So it's just, uh, you don't have to worry about this happening recently. The turtles, the turtles. Uh, 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 I don't know. What do they do? This is the uh, turtles go up onto the shore. We've all seen this on the Discovery yeah. Channel, right? Yeah. You know, they yeah. they they flop up onto the shore and dig holes and lay their eggs, right? And uh, right. That's apparently they were going to do that um, at the. Uh, Airport terminal or something. Okay. These don't look the, like those same kind of sea turtles you see that stuff in. These. Yeah, well, these are. But, these but, are not as dramatic as the big ones that you see on the Discovery Channel. But, but my, these are, my, con, my contention is that they got to look at the official airline guide and saw how scheduling has gotten screwed up at JFK and figured they just had all the time they needed to get across the runway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just wondering which airline's catering department thought seriously about harvesting these. <laughs> Yeah, really, I know, right? Um, uh, Here's the money paragraph for me, all right? It's actually the third paragraph. Uh, Specialists from the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey removed about 100 Diamondback Terrapins, all right? The turtles, that is, okay? The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey has Diamondback Terrapin specialists on staff. That's my – it's like, whoa. I don't know. I thought that – Apparently, well, you guys aren't as, as tickled by that as I was. That's, that's why you, you, know, you have to pay you know, 250 bucks or whatever it is to land at Teterboro. To, to, to keep the, ter- the turtle specialists on staff. Exactly. They have, they have, to, be, you know, they have to be compensated. So. Yeah. 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 I, I know it's not 250 to land at Teterboro, but it's not inexpensive either. How much yeah. is it, I wonder? You know, it's been um, 
quote, a long time, unquote, since I was in the Teterboro. Um, and I'm thinking it was like um, 50 bucks, 25 bucks, 50 bucks, something like that. And it was, this is like 01. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, see, Teterboro, Teterboro Airport uh, landing fees. And forget Newark and LaGuardia right. and, and, uh, and Kennedy. Let's see now. According to airnav.com. Well, the Port Authority would have, um, should have a listing there for. No, actually, this is according to a comment. Um, yeah, this is one of the comments on this uh, Teterboro Airport page in AirNav. Uh, one of the commenters says something about, makes reference to the fact that they'd waive the $50, the $50 landing fee, I guess. They're well, let's to. see. Let's see. Schedule of charges. Here we go. And it's a PDF, of course. See? This is, isn't this what I've been saying for years now? Big pain in the neck. Bad, Public lazy, lazy, lazy web development. Um, the, it would accept as set forth in paragraph 1B below, the charge for each aircraft takeoff shall be $7.20 per thousand pounds of maximum gross weight, prorated per fraction thereof, provided that the minimum charge for each takeoff, such takeoff shall be at least $25, effective August 1, 2010. And where is this? This is Te- Teterboro. 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 Um, well, no, no, no. This says this says Newark actually. Oh, I, Newark. I clicked on uh, a, I clicked on a Teterboro. Oh, it's for both. Okay. Uh, Teterboro and Newark have the same landing fee. Now that's interesting, actually. I think. Well, they're so close together too. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, man, a guy could do great if he opened up one in the middle. And they have. Yeah. 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 Really. Well, they, there's Linden. Yeah. Um. Um, this is a, uh, let's just say a several page document, um, talking about, well, let's see, this is Teterboro, um, for each aircraft, for each takeoff of aircraft, not exceeding 6,000 pounds maximum gross weight for takeoff, $17. Okay. So, you know, my little debonair would be $17 for, t- for a takeoff fee. Um, apparently they don't charge you for the landing, they just charge you for the takeoff. Yeah, landings are free. Yeah, landings are free. Landings are free. Yeah, because wow. because you do, yeah, because they don't want to charge you for the one that's that's not optional. I guess there's right. a joke in there someplace. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, takeoffs are optional. Landings are mandatory. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but it gets up to um, well, of course, for each touch and go operation, the normal landing fee for that aircraft will be charged. Now, so here we have a phraseology saying the normal landing fee will be charged, but then they, I don't see a landing fee. I see a takeoff fee. Oh, well, but see, a touch and go involves a takeoff, so yeah. Right. Well, it does, I yeah. know, but still. Yeah. Um, and they're um, generically referred to as landing fees, even though they, right. yeah. Yeah, so it's 17 bucks for a debonair. Um, aircraft between 6000 but not exceeding 12500 or $25. Uh, and then they have a sliding scale of um, uh, $3.50 per 1,000 pounds. For aircraft weighing more than twelve thousand five hundred pounds, but not exceeding eighty thousand pounds, above is that 80, landed 000. weight? It's takeoff weight, maximum gross takeoff, takeoff weight. Okay. Yeah, they don't they don't they don't roll you on the scales. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not like not like the eighteen wheeler thing by the side of the road where the airplane no. goes through a little, you know, as much state police cars. Right, not and, not this not not no, so. not Teterboro. I've never yeah. actually operated through an airport that had a landing fee, so uh, I don't. How does this work? Do, you, do is there somebody who chases you with a car, and uh, or do they send you a bill in the mail, or? Well, no. You you at Teterboro, you've got you know FBOs. 
Yeah. And um, um, you you kind of kind of have a a gated entryway, and, and the lineman sees you, and they park you, and step right this way, and and check in, and you fill out your form, and. They look at it and they say, "Okay, you owe us X number of dollars." Okay, but what if I lived there? What, what if I had a hangar at Teterboro? How do they how do they get you, you then? Um, I don't know how they do that. They maybe they get the tower movement records and send you a bill. Yeah, yeah I don't believe that they're allowed to discriminate between based and non-based. No, when they're applying a fee like that. No, I don't think so either. I, 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 yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. That wouldn't that would not be cool. And uh, I was pondering well, course, the idea of having a list of ex- exceptions. Yeah. Oh, okay. What are the exceptions? <laughs> okay. Aircraft owned, leased, or chartered by the agencies of the following governmental entities. Oh, United well, didn't States. you know? Okay. United, United States of America, duh. Um, and, of course, there's a limitation on the number of federal aircraft movements that are, that are uh, not subject to uh, landing fees. The state of New York and their agencies, the state of New Jersey and their agencies, States other than New York and New Jersey and their agencies with whom the Port Authority may enter into reciprocal fee waiver agreements wherever practical at the discretion of the Director of Aviation, like, you know, Hawaii. Um, uh, Local government agencies within the Port District, any local government agency when there is a reciprocal agreement between that agency and the Port Authority, aircraft owned, leased, or chartered by the Port Authority, uh, aircraft operated under orders of the Civil Air Patrol. Well, that's, that's nice. When engaged in the execution of official airport search and rescue missions or in officially ordered practice aircraft search and rescue missions. So um, if I was uh, uh, operating under CAP orders to go on a search on an actual SAR mission or uh, um, uh, under orders to uh, conduct um, uh, practice missions, training, whatever, I would, not, I would be exempt Mm-hmm. Uh, from mm-hmm. such charges. Yeah. Now, that's at Teterboro. I haven't. I don't know if, yeah. if Newark, Newark has a similar set of things. So reciprocal. If so, so if some state is willing to waive their fees, that then they'll. You know, we should uh-huh. like form the sovereign nation of UCAP, all right, and uh, and then put together a, a landing fee of some sort and then waive it for. We'll, we'll go buy an island somewhere. Yeah. Well, you know, there's this movement to uh, uh, get these old uh, oil platforms. And, and anchor them offshore somewhere and call them a sovereign nation. Yeah, I know. Can you say short takeoff and landing? It's going to work. Can you say helicopter? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, no, that, I would, but you're the one who won't say helicopter. I'll uh, say so. helicopter if, if, um, uh, if, if it means I have my own nation. Okay, you'd make that sacrifice in order to be King Jeb. You would, you'd fly a helicopter. I would learn how to fly a helicopter. Sure. Okay. All right. Sure. So, how would that work? No, see, now we're really. I was getting worried about not talking about aviation, and now I'm right. talking about King Jeb. All right. <laughs> so the turtles. So they relocated the turtles. Apparently, they sent out the uh, the Port Authority spe- turtle specialists, and uh, they collected them all up. Which I would have thought would have freaked out the turtles and caused them to do you know lay their eggs. I don't know what in the wrong place or. They, they they thought they were going to shell in a handbasket. I know. Yeah. So they they apparently picked up the eggs, and I'm sure these specialists know what they're doing, and uh, they they took them to another uh, another part of the beach or the airport or the grounds um, where they could do their little migration thing without crossing runways and, and what, getting sucked into engines. What, what training does one have to undergo to become a, a diamondback terrapin specialist? Uh, I don't know. It could be a new career and, for and you, though. Do the, do, the, do the terrapins actually provide feedback? 
I'm sure they do. Like well, I said, they well handle doing. them badly. They keel over and die. It doesn't get much more feedback than that, you know. So, uh, well, don't uh, they kind of like withdraw into their shell uh, when they're handled? Uh, hopefully, but you know, they might freak out and just like you know go into a little cata- turtle catatonia. Turtle, turtle catatonia. catatonia. There's a there's a title. Anyways, um, there's an in catatonia. No, I know where Catatonia is. Never yeah, mind. It's, 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 um, isn't that near uh, uh, Florence? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of between Florence and, and uh, Venice, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Welcome, folks, to episode 254 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. Have, does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're on site clear around turkey's national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta we're recording this episode on uh, Friday, September 16th, I think, 2011. And uh, joining me here in the uh, virtual hangar, my two good friends. Uh, first of all, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from someplace near Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? Doing wonderful. Just wonderful. Lovely Friday afternoon. Uh, weekends ahead. Accomplished most of what I needed to during the week. Uh, yeah. Good Good, yeah, do an okay. Yeah. Any of your airports out there ever, ever have turtle problems? Uh, I have seen a turtle on a runway around Kansas from time to time, uh, but usually not a herd of them. Is that what you call a bunch of turtles, a herd? That's what I heard. Okay. <laughs> and also out there is Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you? I'm well. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if they're called herds or flocks or coveys or. Uh, we'll have to or, figure that out before the yeah. before the episode is out. Uh, um, you wouldn't have a problem with turtles, I would imagine. With you, it's alligators, right? I would think with alligators, yeah. But I, actually, birds. Um, birds um, and and deer. You, you have a lot of bird, deer down there. We have yeah, a I, lot of deer. There, it's 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 starting to get a little um, <sighs> alarming. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I know that you you. you know, Pretty regularly, when you land, when you talk about landing at night, you, you talk uh-huh. about special procedures that you go through to make sure. Well, that, I don't that, know that it's a special procedure. It's called a low pass. Yeah, but I mean, it's just you do more than just approach and land. You, right. uh, you right. know, you do a pass and you kind of scare things off and eyeball the thing and. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, um, and of course it pleases the neighbors to no end. Yeah, but they live on an airport, so what are they going to say? You know, well, exactly, yeah, exactly. So, but uh, um, <laughs> we we have. I don't, I don't know all the details on this yet, um, but you know, finally, uh, thankfully, uh, the powers that be are struggling to drag uh, um, some of our infrastructure here at Hidden River into the 21st century, mm-hmm. and um, we actually have a company coming through trying to lay fiber optic cable. Really, really, it's, it is. Wow. Yeah, it's it's um, um, enlightened. Fairly, uh, um, it's enlightened and it's it's long overdue, and uh, um, it's I'm certainly looking forward to it. So I get this email earlier in the week, and I'm going to read a couple of choice sentences from it. Um, the status of fiber optic in Hidden River is now on hold. 
Okay. The contractor who was laying the conduit walked off the job after being cussed out by several of our residents. <laughs> the guys... Sound <laughs> <laughs> like somebody didn't get the memo. They didn't get the memo. Um, the guys laying the cable are only following the lines painted by someone else. If they dig up your phone line, it is because the utility locating service did not <laughs> properly mark the location of your well, phone. Well, yeah, that would do it. Um, and, of course, it all goes downhill from there. And, and uh, I, you know, uh, never a dull moment. None of you guys have phone lines. You all have satellite phones, right? Or you have uh, direct TV. No, maybe you do have telephone wires, don't you? I, I have. You I have. Hard, I have a hard. Yeah, you know, I have a hardwire phone. That's, you do have a you know, hardwire phone. It's about the only thing you know, as far as utilities around here, that actually works. Yeah, with well, communications anyway. Is yeah, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, well, I hadn't realized. Well, that's actually. I mean, I'm sorry about the cussing out part and the part and the walking off the job part, but I'm sure they'll get that figured out. Um, I hadn't oh, yeah. realized that they had gotten to the point where they've broken ground in your development. Sure. Oh yeah. That well, breaking ground. I think is exactly the correct term to use. Yes. <laughs> but but uh, um, you know, <laughs> um, they've been you know, they've been laying the fiber up and down the the road in the town and and uh, I don't know the exact status of that project but they do seem to have finished it uh, and uh, starting to lay copper lay copper lay lay fiber um, uh, elsewhere and uh, thankfully Hidden River at least was you know early on the list I don't I don't know other locations but I uh, uh, after I got this email earlier in the week I called the the ISP and said look you know. Uh, please come lay my fiber. I will not cuss you out. You know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a beer. I'll give you a cold beer. I'll yeah, give you right. lots of cold beers. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I'm Flim at eleven. You know. And oh, by the way, I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, I'm talking to you from high atop Lookout Point. In uh, we have lots of squirrels here, Nottingham, New Hampshire. Uh, not turtles. We have turtles, but we don't have herds of turtles. Or we we had a powder outage early this week. Yeah, uh, you know, it's one of those. There wasn't a storm anywhere. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, and all of a sudden, you know, the uh, the internet router went down. I got a little blurb on the, my notebook computer, which seamlessly changed over to battery power. So I didn't. I must have blinked, and that because next thing I know is like your internet connection is not available. And I turn around and look, and wow, the fan's slowing down. The AC stopped. Yada yada yada. Uh, 36 hours later, walking the dog of the house uh, on, a, on, on an unopened alley route just south of where we live. And Princess sniffs a lot, as we like to call her, deviates from the walking path and goes over. And I, I notice ahead of time that it, she's about to go over, and I'm afraid flop down and wallow around on a squirrel, a dead squirrel. <laughs> okay, yeah. Except she got up close to it and then backed up about two feet. Really? Yeah. It would it had kind of been burnt on the face and abdomen. Ah. Uh, and looked like part of it started to cook. The, the old um, squirrel, the that's old good squirrel, eating right there. The huh? old squirrel in the transformer trick, of course. Yeah. Uh the the power feeds along our uh, our, our little section of Wichita here are are among some of the oldest in the city and the wires aren't insulated. They're just bare wires. They're spaced far enough apart that, you know, they shouldn't touch one another. And most squirrels don't bridge that gap. 
course, if you only touch one, nothing happens to you without being grounded, right? So, well, this one apparently came into contact with wire number two. We, we, a, a squirrel fricassee. I was going to say frying squirrel. Flying frying. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, okay. Um, all right, we're going to talk about airplanes. We're going to talk about airplanes. But first of all, just let me say that according to the Internet, a group of turtles seems to be called a bale, a B-A-L-E, a bale of turtles. A bale of turtles. A bale of turtles. Although although baby turtles are sometimes known as a clutch, of because tur- I guess because, you know, like chickens that come out of eggs, right? And uh, so uh, a bale of turtles. And 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 by the way, there there is apparently um, both a band and a motorcycle group called Herd of Turtles. There you go. I heard of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm going to come out and herd you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. I hear you. So, see, we should just keep talking about turtles because I don't want to talk about this first item on the list. I just don't want to talk about it. Jeb, you. Oh, that that's okay. Go ahead. It, yeah. It, Jeb, Start something, Jeb. You just yeah. posted all kinds of th- of leads here on the list regarding uh, FAA reauthorization. So what yeah. happened? So yeah. it was going to happen. It was kind of a done deal, and then some guy decided he was going to block it. Right? How, what's the latest on all this? Well, uh, oh, Doctor No, uh, Doctor No. Yes, the other senator from Oklahoma. Okay. Um, what's yeah, the, we, yeah. We've, we've talked about Inhoff before, and we're not going to talk about him anymore on this episode. Uh, but of course. Oklahoma has two senators, um, and um, uh, the other one, a guy by the name of Coburn, um, put his foot down. They were trying to do this this big. Um, they're trying to do uh, uh, extensions of um, uh, the FAA and of course and actually the Surface Transportation uh, uh, Bill, which is uh, f- kind of similar to the FAA uh, FAA reauthorization. Uh, and trying to just get through, you know, the rest of the the rest of the Congress here into into November, so everybody can go home. Um, and um, there's a lot of issues. Da 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 da. Anyway, Coburn, the the uh, senator no from from uh, Oklahoma, um, uh, decided that um, he would quote use all procedural tools at his disposal, uh, unquote, to block the bill because he objects to. Um, federal programs designed to increase bike lanes and green space around highways. Oh, the horror. The horror, the horror. Um, and um, he was going to block the FAA bill. So basically they reached an accommodation with Coburn um, that um, da-da-da-da-da, they would do something or other uh, and, and move on. And in fact, the Senate yesterday apparently passed the 22nd uh, FAA extension bill, uh, uh, averting the threat, ending the threat of yet another partial shutdown of the FAA, uh, which would have been occurred, uh, which would have occurred uh, tonight at midnight. Um, so, so, so both houses you, have passed on both sides yes. have pa- passed. Yeah, on I, I, I'm not clear on whether uh, they passed identical. Right uh, measures. Uh, if they didn't, I'm sure they, they can fix some typos and stuff and, and get this off to the president. But uh, uh, it, it seems that once again the republic is safe. Uh, I think this time until maybe January. Uh, but we still don't have, you know, again a, a full FAA reauthorization bill. Uh, yeah. I just, 
know, I even, it's just not even funny anymore. It's just not even. No, it's it's not funny. You know, anymore. you can't even be sarcastic about it anymore. It's just disappointing. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. The I'm, rest of the world I'm, must look at us and think that we're just idiots. We are. We are. We, I, I always hearken back to uh, uh, the movie Catch Twenty Two. Uh, and the scene with Orson Welles, that he, where he's playing the general, and he walks into the ready room, and Richard Benjamin is is uh, disgusted with something, and and um, Orson Welles says, um, "The next man who moans is I'm going to shoot," and Richard Benjamin, of course, moans, and Orson Welles says, "Take him out and shoot him." Yeah, and, and that's they? the way I feel about a lot of this. Oh just yeah, take, I know. just take him out. Just just take him out and shoot him. You know, um, they, they didn't they didn't take Richard Benjamin out and shoot him, but he did faint. Oh, okay, um, I haven't seen that movie in a long, long time. You need you need to go see the movie. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so we've got another extension. Um, we have we have we have. It looks like momentarily averted a knee at the knee pad moment. For some of the lawmakers, but it just postponed it. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, it just postponed it. No, no, Jeb, don't go too far down that road. A, a knee pad? Don't, moment. don't, 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 don't. Actually, that should be knee pads moment. You, those guys usually have to wear them in Paris. So, anyways, uh, story oh. in uh, story. I asked you not to go down that road, Jeb. I just, I begged you. I know. I know. Um, so, a story from Aero News Network. Um, who, by the way, I you know I used to look at Aero, Aero News Network every day, um, uh, and uh, it was really one of my main news sources. And then they did something that annoyed me, and so I stopped looking at them every day. Um, and and somewhere along the line, now I'm looking at it again periodically. Somewhere along the line, they really cleaned up their website. I have to give them props for this. All right, their website used to be just awful, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm not saying it's like award winner now, but it's way better than it used to be. Um, the way they organize their homepage and their headlines pages and and so forth and so on. So, anyways, story on uh, Aero News Network: um, Black Hat Cyber UAVs are coming. So apparently what people are thinking that the bad guys are going to start doing is they're going to use these little quadricopters that you can buy, like the one I've got, and there are other brands as well, and they're going to program them to go off and fly um, autonomously and explore the area. You know, like they'll set it loose in a residential neighborhood, and it'll go out and explore the neighborhood and try and find um, unsecure Wi-Fi networks and then, you know... uh, 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 hack into people's computers and turn them into zombies and all that kind of good stuff. And so, uh, so I don't know. It's like UAVs. Are, yeah, zombies. Mm. UAVs are. You. It's a big problem, you know. You make jokes. Uh, I, you, I, I, they are. It is a problem. And it's the zombie worse. computer systems is like a huge. Oh, you talking about computer systems? I'm talking about zombies. Oh well, that too. That too. Anyway, so so you know we're t- we we always you know moan about uh, government UAVs and how how nervous we are about having them in the airspace and you know but th- you can have these uh, you know people can be setting up these uh, these quadricopters to uh, go off and and do whatever they want them to do you know um, and I I just kind of wonder how to what extent this could be a uh, hazard to navigation quite frankly um, well as you know as long as they stay below the what's supposed to be the minimum altitude for aircraft. And far enough away to stay off any approaches or departures for an airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say running into another one of their own, you know, sightless, uh, hearingless uh, machines is probably the highest probability. Uh, but this, you know, this could hardly be surprising. I mean, we've been seeing TV commercials for the last few months where a guy puts 
one of these portable smartphone devices on a little helicopter and uses it to take pictures of a be here at 8 p.m. invitation that he Facebooks to all of his friends. And like, so before you scrawl that out in chalk on your patio, was that your helicopter I saw hovering outside your girlfriend's bathroom window? <laughs> and and if it was if it was your helicopter, are you sure it was your girlfriend? <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so it's uh, well, and you got another thing on the list here, which which I think just ties in perfectly. What's that? Automated control towers with no humans in them. Uh-huh. But an automated control tower with no human together in uh, controlling airspace with autonomous or remotely piloted vehicles that also have no humans in them. And watch the fun begin. I know. I just yep. can't imagine. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the, the automated controller is seeing that bot out there and trying to get it on the freak. And, you know, it's not responding. And the guy controlling it, he's not listening to that tower frequency from all those miles away. And, yeah. Well, you know, my response to that, you know, when someone pointed the uh, remote, the remote uh, control tower thing out to me, my my response, but what I said, I said something along the lines of, if the government really wanted to save money, they would just make it so that you submitted aviation requests by email and got a response a couple of days later. Mm-hmm. Well, what could go wrong? I mean, really? I know. Well, you know, the the uh, the flight service stations are all remote now. That seems to be working more more or less once they got the bugs out, right? It only took them how many years to get the bugs out? Huh. You mean the bugs are out? <laughs> well, yeah, well, by comparison yeah. to the early days, they are. But well, compare yeah, compared to the early days, and in fact, um, uh, I've, I've, I will confess, admit, uh, um, uh, forcefully state that I've had pretty good service in the last year or so from yeah. flight service. Uh, basically, answer on the next ring, uh, give me what I want to know, and uh, uh, without a whole lot of song and dance, and um, it's it's it's. From that standpoint, it's it's certainly much better than it was in the initial months after Lockmark took over. Right, and most uh, controllers are sitting in a dark room, anyways. Why do they need to be at the airport? Well, not tower controllers, dear. Yeah, right, okay. not tower controllers, um, and that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> you know, put it another way, the tracons and centers already remoted. Um, so you know, the, the last bastion, if you will, of of uh, visual control of aircraft is the control tower, uh, and uh, you know. What's what's a little uh, swapping of paint among friends, really? Uh, yeah. What's what's the worst well, that could happen? Anonymous comes in and hacks your control tower, right? Well, yeah. There you go. That's a thought too, right? But uh, well, it, it, I've been wondering this since childhood, when I first started hearing stories about how automation and machines and computers were going to replace all these things that humans had to do now, and they always kind of you know sh- 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 don't ask that question. So, so what becomes of all the people displaced by all these yeah. wonders of science and technology? What are, the humans what are we going to do to employ them? And how? Oh, well, those people will always be able to find jobs. And now we know what they meant. You know, uh, McDonald's is still opening up new restaurants. Wow, what a thrill. That's right. Well, and, there's, and these, these, um, these automated uh, um, remote control towers, they all operate off a of video camera. Someone has to go around and clean the lenses. Yeah, see, so there's work. Yeah, those controllers. No, no, we're being. No, 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 they won't do that. You've seen the you've seen the cameras on 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 Indy and and Formula One cars where they they have this little roll of clear covering sure. that you only have to replace once every four or five years. So uh-huh. uh, we we cheer all this stuff, 
and oh, the wonders of it. Oh, this is great. We'll be able to cut thousands of people out of work. See, I'm not sure that at some point that stops being progress. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, no, no argument, of course. Um, but you know, it's all about you know the salaries that you have to pay and retirement and health care benefits and all that. That's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. and and the facilities, the towers, and the mm-hmm. you know the you know all the gear way up high in the sky, and it's you know not and and you know is it's it's just think how much more profitable those contract towers would be if they could contract towers out without humans. Mm. I, I'm sure that the people that pay the contracts for those towers are probably not going to be able to get a break on their price if automation eliminates the human bodies in their tower. I right. mean, after all, somebody's got to pay for the automation. Right. And speaking of another story on the list, um, there's never, of course, any shenanigans regarding these contracts. Um, oh, no. <laughs> never. No, it's all, it's all pure above board and, and pure as the driven snow. Yeah. Um, what was that story? Oh, Where is it here? I'm glad you didn't it. say pure as the blowing snow. That would have changed the color. <laughs> <laughs> but that would have been perfect. You should have said that. Um, where is the story here? Uh, pure okay. as the blowing snow. FAA yeah. Raytheon controller training under scrutiny. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, this has been, uh, and I got this, I think one of you guys put it on the list. I think a couple of listeners also sent, directed my attention to it on the, uh, I guess they directed all of our attention to it. That's yeah. right, on this Twitter. from Jeff, actually. Well, and Jeff was the one who actually posted it to our list, but he, um, as well as I, saw it from some listener on Twitter. And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to boil this down here. Does either one of you understand this story better? All I know is that apparently there's an investigation going on because I think maybe there are shenanigans during the, about the contracts. Well, I, I looked at some of this actually recently for a, an article in, in uh, Aviation Safety, and actually it was one that, uh, that Amy Laboda worked on, uh, Amy, Amy Road. Um, basically, um, rather than uh, continue with uh, its traditional um, in-house controller training, uh, Raytheon came to FAA and said, hey, we can do this for you uh, much more cheaply. We can do it better. And, of course, uh, um, um, they had to get out of – FAA and Raytheon had to get out of bed long enough to sign the paperwork. Um, but Raytheon has basically taken over at least some of, I don't know all the details um, here regarding um, um, the types of training they're, they're providing, um, but Raytheon is definitely doing controller training. And if you start peeling the onion here, um, the, uh, uh, there's been some issues with the training. There have been uh, uh, some problems with the contract. Um, and um, some people, uh, if you start you know, reading some of the press coverage, um, there is uh, some definite linkage between um, um, poor training, shall we say, and uh, controller errors. Um, one of the things that uh, this, this training regimen, this new training regimen, has is, is tried to accomplish here, and this all goes back, of course, to 1981 when, when Reagan fired the air traffic controllers. And it's been, uh, um, shall we say, 30 years this month, I believe, or last month, um, since uh, the controllers were fired. And um, there have been some other, you know, hiccups along the way. But uh, what's going on here is we always hire this huge batch of controllers, and then they're on a 20-, 30-year cycle, and then they retire uh, in the same basic fashion. They all do this at once. They come on board at once. They leave at once. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these peaks and valleys. Um, uh, the FAA can't seem to figure out how to even out some of these peaks and valleys when it comes to hiring and firing and retirements, et cetera. So they're, they're always in a crisis mode when it comes to hiring. 
And um, heretofore, I guess it would take maybe five years for, for the FAA to go from ab initio to full performance level controllers. Uh, Raytheon's trying to do it in three years, and uh, it's not always working uh, uh, all that well. Um, we were looking at uh, um, some, some, some factoids in that article, and one of them is you know, you, you, you deal with um, uh, some of the larger tracons and some of the larger control towers, uh, New York, Chicago come to mind, um, and uh, you're generally talking about the more experienced uh, controllers. But you get out of uh, uh, those major areas, you get into uh, the, some of the in route center airspace, and you get into uh, low activity tracons and low activity control towers. And uh, there's some weird stuff going on out there, boys and girls. Um, like what? Uh, well, like um, uh, people not answering the radio, mm-hmm. like, like getting routed uh, you know, all over uh, creation just because there's another aircraft in the sector. Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep them apart, you know. Um, and, uh, just, just some weird stuff. Is and that inexperience or just weird policies? That, go ahead. Is that inexperience or is it weird policies and procedures at these, these facilities? Um, six of one, half a dozen of another. Uh-huh. Um, I think going first through the door is you have a lack of experience. And as partial compensation for that lack of experience, you then have weird policies created to uh, either ease the workload or or, uh, uh, preordain some decisions that the controllers may or may not make. Um, And as a result, uh, you've got, you know, flights being uh, uh, routed uh, kind of weirdly. Um, I I don't know. I I don't know if I talked about this. I kind of had this... this, uh, uh, this is a uh, flavor of this in Louisville, going and coming from uh, from Oshkosh. After I dropped Dave off, um, I launched out of Louisville, and this it's Class C airspace. I mean, it's, this is not um, uh, the center of the world, and this is mid afternoon. So the UPS rush hasn't really picked back up. It, you know, their their rushes are in the morning and the evenings, so it's mid afternoon. I'm aware of only one other aircraft on the frequency. And I'm being vectored all over Hell's Half Acre to avoid this one other aircraft. And uh, I'm, uh, hello, come in. I'm outside of their Charlie airspace, well outside the the uh, uh, the inner ring. And mainly, is t- I'm talking to them as a courtesy, hoping they'll set up a, a flight following strip for me. And they start complaining about my mode C, um, and um, you know, start freaking out about my altitude. Um, and they're the only facility um, everywhere between here and Oshkosh and back. They're the only facility that remarked or complained of anything about my Mode C. Um, and in fact, once I left their airspace and started talking to the whatever I think is Indy Center, Indy Center didn't say boo about my Mode C. I, mean, I hadn't, I didn't touch it. So either you know they were making something up or it was their equipment that was that was uh, uh, the problem mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was you know just uh, it was a stark uh, difference uh-huh. in, in in the services that I had seen going and coming uh, uh, to Oshkosh uh, and it was it was just a very odd counterpoint to the whole thing and I, I suspect that uh, um, Louisville certainly has a lot of, of heavy uh, heavy traffic, so I can't imagine that they're um, a training facility on a 24/7 basis. 
I kind of wonder if they were, in fact, however, doing some training because there seemed to be two controllers on the frequency. Uh, and as I say, I'm only aware of one other aircraft on the frequency at that particular time, which you know they they just were freaking out about uh, uh, my being a conflict with. So I don't, I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Well. Um, well, you you and I have commiserated in the this. past about certain sectors sure. that seem yeah. to. Uh, I, wow, for lack of a better word, I'd call it propism. They they discriminate against propellers. I I won't I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. Uh, but I, and, and the flip side of which is I see a lot of other. One of the the uh, Tracons I deal with great regularity in South Georgia uh, is is clearly a training facility because there are always two voices on that frequency. Yeah. Um, um, I can go poking in to, to my hometown up there, and I'll have to transit through this, uh, this Tracon, and I'm always talking to them. And uh, it's always a matter of um, I'll, I'll have some weird, I don't know, weird is not the right word, uh, but I'll have some, some request or some uh, um, uh, desire that is not, you know, um, a straight-in vector to the landing runway. And of course, that just blows the, the 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 controller's mind, and the supervisor has to has to pick up the mic switch and, and say, "Yeah, cleared as requested." Uh, and that happens a lot, uh, with great regularity. Hmm. At that, facility. we get that a little bit here, uh, and this is not necessarily well. Before things tanked, the number of jets Cessna was building, the number of aircraft Raytheon was building, sure. uh, the the output at Learjet. Uh, the need for production test flight of all those aircraft, uh, plus in post-maintenance flights for several service centers in the area, uh, and about 40-odd to 50 uh, out-and-backs by the airlines, all basically touching some point at mid-continent. And we get trainees there, Tracon trainees, uh, developmentals, as they call them, uh, and sometimes you could tell by the second voice on the frequency, and sometimes you could tell because they gave you a frequency you'd never heard before. Mm -hmm. And it would be those; those were the newest people in the in the in the room, because they're starting them off handling airplanes that are on a, a on an unusual frequency that nobody else will get on. You know, the normal. I'll contact them on one uh, one twenty three eighty five on the way out, and you'd get. Contact them on uh, one twenty four seven fifty six point seven three something. Right, you know, it'd be I, something I, I, way out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then the tentativeness and the voice. Uh, had a trainee at an army tower. This was an army controller. Uh, they had a training tower set up at Andalusia, Alabama, uh -huh. where I'd listen to the controller vector two airplanes ahead of me and us. For the downwind on final, so the, the developmental just couldn't seem to keep straight which end of the windsock you're supposed to be flying out of. So we got we all three got tailwind landings, except I rejected mine when I started to turn. I went, "Whoa, wait a minute, that's not long enough for me to land in this much tailwind." And a second voice came on and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, never mind. Go around this other way." I think her. Supervisor had been maybe off at the latrine or something. Uh, <laughs> okay, possible. I guess sure, absolutely possible. We're taking a nap. We've seen that. 
Yeah, I wouldn't want to accuse him of anything. No, like no, that. I'm being facetious. Particularly not military. No. Yeah. All right, let's move I just, on. I, I, and I caught a few minutes ago who who does get the flick, Jeb. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's what's his name? It was uh, Don Brown. Don Brown. Yeah, we've talked about him a number of times on the podcast. A retired controller who continues to uh, to comment on uh, the state of things. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, a former <coughs> author of yours. Former, uh, yeah, I, I um, uh, it goes back a ways into, I don't know, the 2000 time frame or so uh, when I was uh, uh, executive editor at AvWeb. Um, I hired him on as a, as a regular uh, columnist contributor at AvWeb, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, he did a good job over the years. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, so moving he, on. Um, I, uh, so I, it was two or three episodes ago, I told the story of how I had been chatting with a CFI friend who was telling me about uncharted radio towers uh, on, the, uh, on all the charts, on the, on the uh, VFR charts, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, two things, uh, two follow-ups on that. First of all, um, I have since spoken to my friend, and he has given me permission to name him. Um, it was uh, uh, Don Weaver, the uh, AcroCamp instructor, who okay. was uh, telling me this story. Um, we were actually sitting around the kitchen table about 2 o'clock in the morning one night during AcroCamp, just talking, um, hanger flying in the kitchen. And uh, when he told me this story, uh, he sent me an email saying, uh, uh, no problem talking about this uh, if you like. He also extended the story a little bit. He says, by the way, it goes both ways. He says, for a couple of years, there was a very large tower on the Detroit sectional, just southeast of Mansfield, Ohio, that hadn't been built, never was. But it was on the maps and in the TAWS, TAWS, TAWS database. Um, Yeah. Absolutely nothing there, Don writes. He says, He says I set off the TAS system in the plane once, big time, flying right through the top of the non-existent tower just to prove <laughs> that it wasn't there. He then hey, I can hear the voice now going, obstacle, obstacle, pull, <laughs> up, pull, up, no, obstacle, what? turn, left, obstacle. Ah! <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that raises a great question. What does the TAS system do when you fly through the non-existent obstacle does it just you know kind of shut itself down say tilt yeah or or, or does it just pick right up like nothing happened this could be no, no, i was gonna make a really bad joke i'm not gonna do it never mind no, go ahead. uh no i was gonna make a the, you know, the autopilot turned off and gave control back to the pilot you know it's a it's a it's an air france 447 joke yes. sorry yes. um so uh no it's uh i don't know i've never flown one of these things what does it do i mean if you disagree disregard you know will it eventually go Never mind. Well, you know. I, I, my my three ninety six, for some reason the the database doesn't really understand that uh, there's an airport here at Hidden River. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. So anytime I come in with the uh, with the with the three ninety six on, um, it starts you know going a little berserk and flashing red and all this nonsense. Um, and when I land, it's just just showing a, a red uh, uh, red landscape on the uh, on the on the screen. Um, and, um, you know, I think at some point it kind of figures out that, oh, okay, well, I'm still here. The plane is still, apparently, I'm still getting power. Um, the, the GPS part of me says I'm still moving. So, okay, well, I'll just turn this red thing off now. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I, I don't remember, you know, exactly how it, I generally am kind of busy taxiing and, and dodging deer and stuff like that. Yeah, um, right. So I don't pay that much attention to what the 396 is telling me after I land. Yeah. But, so, uh, uh yeah, uh, Don's. Uh, I should just complete the thought here. Don, uh, parenthetically, after t- describing the messing with the uh, with the uh, uh, 
the uh, uh, Taz system. He says he says he says I only did this after many many looks and under good VFR conditions, of course. Yes, uh, that's a very good qualifier. For, you know, for and uh, absolutely. He says he says it was. Want to be the first one on the planet to discover a stealth tower technology? Yeah, that's right. yeah, right, exactly. He says he says uh, the tower was probably approved for construction and then canceled, and the FCC never got the word on it. He said I think it was on at least four years worth of sectionals. He wow. says it's it's no longer longer charted so someone must have canceled it um anyways um, oh that would be a great one to put on a poker run where you've got to take pictures of some of the turn point <laughs> <laughs> and they can't find it it's right there on the chart where is it i don't that would be good wouldn't it that would be evil that'd, that'd be, be evil. wicked yeah <laughs> yeah by the way i had a really great conversation i interviewed uh, uh, uh don uh for a, a follow-up to acrocamp a couple days ago and that will be posted uh, by way of the uh, ucap blog um, sometime next week, I would imagine. Um, cool. We we talked about we certainly talked about follow up to Acrocamp and, and a bunch of other really fascinating subjects. So uh, uh, pay attention to the UCAP blog if you're at all interested in hearing uh, Don talk about all kinds of aviation things. Anyways, what's next here? Let's see. Uh, uh, you know, this is just a little bit of trivia here. I saw this airplane, this article that showed a picture of an airplane. This is from uh, the Navy.mil website. Um, and uh, this particular item is just sort of a little tidbit item about an aircraft that's been um, that is now stationed or is somehow operating out of a uh, naval air, a naval station Rota in Spain, um, although I believe it's a U.S. station. And uh, it yeah. sort of looks U two ish, but it's not on a U two. You guys recognize it? it's a, a NASA WB five seven. Fifty seven. What is it? Uh, it started life as a B fifty seven. The original design, I think, was either English or Australian. And, in fact, the, the nickname for the design is called Canberra. Oh, I've uh, heard that. Okay. But uh, this is back in the late 40s, early 50s. Um, it's a twin um, jet engine-powered subsonic uh, bomber. And uh, um, Martin uh, Aerospace, Martin Manufacturing, whatever, Martin Aircraft, wherever it was, the the company that was based up in Baltimore that, that made a lot of the flying boats uh, back in the uh, uh, pre-World War, um, pre in World War II era, um, took over uh, the rights apparently and started manufacturing these. And the Air Force bought several of them. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they were used, I believe, in Korea and uh, uh, also in, uh, in Vietnam. By, uh, as I recall, by Vietnam, they were mainly used in a reconnaissance role. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, if you look at the wing plan form on these airplanes, they have a very large cord at the uh, at the fuselage that tapers uh, fairly yeah. uniformly out to the tips. Yes, very and, large. And that's a yeah, that's a uh, you know a, a good design for a high altitude airplane. Mm, okay. And um, um, that particular the the B fifty seven platform apparently has very good uh, high altitude characteristics. Um, I think it's maybe gone through some engine changes over the years and things yeah. like that. Uh, probably systems also, but apparently uh, the, the the type is still in service in the U.S. inventory. Uh, I think apparently by NOAA uh, as a weather uh, reconnaissance aircraft. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, you know what it looks like? What's that? Looks like a twin-engine U-2. It does. It, it a little bit, but it's not yeah. long enough. I mean, neither yeah. the wings the wing, nor the fuselage are long enough. And the uh, wings are not certainly not long enough, but it does have you know some of the same characteristics. You know, a long, yeah. low slung fuselage, uh, a long, lot of wing, um, uh, things like that. Uh, uh, oh, here's the Wikipedia page. Um, 
Yeah, that's what I was just looking at. It's a good Martin. Martin built it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Jeb just said. Didn't yeah. I just say that? You did just say that. Yeah. He he. I, even I heard it, and I had almost in a half of what you guys say. Well, there is that too. Well, even the South Vietnamese Air Force, uh, such as it was. <laughs> well, there you go. That explains it right <laughs> Operated there. Operated B-57. So. <laughs> uh, well, right now, the Republic of China and Pakistan and the United States Air Force. There's a trio for you. That's the axis of something. <laughs> the United States Air Force, the Pakistan Air Force, and the Republic of China Air Force. Uh, this so, photograph was just last week. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I thought it was an interesting That's airplane, and uh, I yeah appreciate you being being educated on that. That's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, originally it was a bomber, but just like Jeb said. Okay. Thank you. Speaking of um, of historic kind of legendary airplanes, I came across this story a couple weeks ago about a group that apparently is having some success at reviving one of the Concords. I think, if I'm reading this right, are you guys familiar with this story? This we is, talked about this several yeah. episodes ago, I think. Yeah, I've heard about it. Wait a minute. Yeah. Did we talk about it? I know it's been on the list for a while. I thought we'd been skipping over it. Um, well, I think there was another... Um, there was, maybe we talked about it at Oshkosh or something. I don't that know. might have been. Oh, yeah, we might have talked about it back then. Anyways, this story from, real quickly, Just uh, there's a website called saveconcordgroup.co.uk. Um, and so, obviously, this is a, a, a British uh, organization. Um that, and there's a lot of information here, but they're uh, they're working on uh, restoring, and it's not 100% clear to me from the article that they're planning to fly it, um, but which would be way cool. Yeah, it would be. Um, but uh, in any event, that's it's kind of a cool thing. If anybody's interested in Concord, you might go take a look at the Save Concord Group. That's all one word: SaveConcordGroup.co.uk, and we'll put a link in the show notes well, as well. One of the paragraphs in this in this web page says. Um, Heritage Concord Tech, HCT, have now demonstrated to the world that it is the only team that has returned a British Concord back to life. Right. An, an event that took place on 14 March 2001. What did they do? Just put a good battery in it and, and, and turn on yeah, the master? I, I know, huh? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know the answer to yeah, that. But yeah. uh, um, there's, a, there's a couple of videos here that, uh, as I recall, I'm not going to play them because of bandwidth but uh yeah. as i recall they just kind of show the there's a lot of instruments in this airplane oh, oh yeah. my goodness okay well, this is a yeah this is an analog uh, uh aircraft yeah yeah and there's a lot to it you know i mean oh yeah there's obviously, a lot going on you know so uh anyways there's four big olympus engines and uh you know you got multiple uh parameters to track in on each turbojet engine, let alone one that's got afterburners and right, yeah, all that stuff. Uh, you know, in my in my around the field uh, articles at uh, at Oshkosh, and and one of the questions I ask most everybody is, what are your mo- you know fondest, most exciting memories of past you know air ventures in Oshkoshes? And and one of the events that comes up probably more often than any is the visits of the Concords, and I agree, um, it was. It it was very very cool to see this this yeah. aircraft operating in person and uh, and that was back in the day, Dave, when you were out in the trench with your cameras. You must have got really up close and personal with this thing. Uh, yeah, a couple of times. It's quite a hoot to have it come blasting by on takeoff in yeah. particular. Yeah, it's loud. It's oh, you feel the earth move under your feet. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, someone ought to write a song. About I know, that. huh? Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, good luck to these folks, and uh, um, they, 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 as you might imagine, need money. So, if anybody's really so inclined, they could give a donation or, um, you know, spread the word. Saveconquergroup.co.uk. Yeah. And it was a little, little known thing when the Concord got shut down. Uh, British Airways, in particular, had devoted two of them, I think for years to doing it, rotating them through their regular scheduled service, but two airplanes uh, almost full-time doing nothing but charter work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because the appeal of flying on this, whether it's a point-to-point or an out-and-back, uh, was just so strong, people would dig down, cough up money, uh, sacrifice other things to come up with the, with the scratch needed to, to be able to fly on a Concorde. So it wouldn't surprise me if they got this puppy airworthy again that they'd be able to run it as a charitable operation with donations for you know uh, uh, tour flights. Yeah, yeah. As long as you start started and stopped at the same airport, it wouldn't be airline service. Yeah, and uh, but what's the there's a joke about uh, how do you make a big fortune in uh, right in, in Concord? How do you make a small small fortune in aviation in general? It's yeah, just right. That's what it is. Large. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what it's going to be with the Concorde, man. That burns some gas, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, moving on. Let's see now. Just a little, little uh, small item here. Um, we we've often call attention to two kinds of stories. One is the adoption and in, 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 in embracement, embracingness. Em, embrace. The embrace of light sport aircraft. And we also talk about um, um, you know innovative ways that uh, that the government and law enforcement are using aircraft. And here's a combination of the two. Story comes to us from uh, UCAP pal Roger Bishop. He re- shows us, points us to uh, the Autopia blog that's part of Wired.com. California sheriff adds light sport airplane to fleet, and they've gotten a uh, CTLE apparently. Is this what's a CTLE, David? Isn't it LS the name L- of the LE Law Enforcement? Oh, okay. It's a special model. Yeah, it's huh? a special mission airplane. Yeah, okay. But they it's, paint, it's uh, they one of the flight designs. Star on the side of it. Yeah, right. It's one of the flight design CTs. No, you got some cool gear in this airplane. Uh, you know, in addition to the, the glass screens, the glass panels that were, you know, might be there on the, you know, on, uh, as stock, they've added all kinds of stuff. They've got like a, a fleur, fleer, fleur, and uh, fleer. You know, fleur. Fleur, Fleer. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, that's can- that's that you can really use to sneak into your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, let's see now. California Sheriff. Let's just see if it says with uh, Tulare Tulare County Sheriff's Department in California, uh, first agency in the country to put a light sport aircraft to work as an observation platform. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's uh, what the story says. So, yeah, that's uh, you know these LSAs very very cool, very very cool. Well, and, and I com- both embrace them, so it must. That's obvious. Well, and compared to what it costs to uh, own and operate, for example, a turbine helicopter, uh, even an R forty four Robinson Law Enforcement Edition, they make a police version right. uh, of the forty four. Uh, this is peanut money by comparison, even all decked out with the special camera pod mount and the internal uh, screen to to see what 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 the camera is picking up. Uh, not only an upfront investment, but in the ongoing operating costs of it, uh, because loitering around at fifty or sixty uh, with a Rotax one hundred upfront, man, you're probably just gulping down two 
two, 2.1 gallons an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's a 34-gallon airplane. Yeah. Right, right. And you're doing it as premium auto fuel, too, not 100 low lead. Right. You want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 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 what was I going to say? Oh, the, uh, the real trick, of course, will become when um, um, we have the uh, remotely piloted CTLE version landing at the uh, a remotely uh, controlled tower uh, <laughs> airport. <laughs> right. So, right. Uh, yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, we would we do want to point out here that this is a humanly operated machine. Yeah. Yes, on board. It actually yeah. has breathing, heart beating, blood pumping, hands and feet humans. Uh, yes. Well, yeah. We, we've, we've we support that at, idea. We've always been at war with Eurasia. Okay. Go. <laughs> David, you referred to it as peanut money. I'm so happy that you didn't refer to it as uh, uh, donut money. That would have been. Uh, <laughs> no, you did, Jack. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, Jeb, uh, what if the Confederacy had invented powered flight? Are you trying to tell me that the? you're right? This is like an episode right out of Wild Wild West. It okay. is. It is. Uh, the, was the Confederacy trying to develop, um, you know, air power? Well, according according to this article on uh, msnbc.com, uh, msnbc.msn.com, I should say, um, the lead paragraph, uh, I'll read right quick. Um, While rebel and units are still fought it out with bayonets and cannons, a Confederate designer had the foresight to imagine flying machines attacking northern armies. He couldn't implement his vision during the war, and the plans disappeared into history until resurfacing at a rare book dealer shop 150 years later. Yeah. Um, apparently, the, uh, someone, uh, R. Finley Hunt is his name, a dentist, by the way, which I don't, I don't even know how to conjugate that, um, um, did, came up with some drawings of, hey. of, a, of flying machines uh, that could be used, and this was back in the 1860 uh, time frame. So were these like really like like fixed wing aircraft? You know, because the, the North did use balloons sure. um, for observation. I don't think they they weaponized them, but uh, yeah. um, but for observation. Uh, so was the plan here that uh, and they were <laughs> this? Oh yeah, okay. Uh, the well, hard book, the, the, the hardback collection includes pencil drawings of wings, propellers, and a multi-cylinder steam engine. This is where it starts to go astray for me, but uh, you never know, right? Um, and well, there, ha- there have been um, steam-powered aircraft, fixed-wing aircraft that flew. That's right. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's Google steam-powered aircraft while we're chatting. Okay. Go ahead. Sir Hiram Stevens Maxim. Right. This is this is the steam steam power steam engine-powered airplane. What's the deal? Uh, yeah. God, there are a number of references here. Yeah, there really are. Yeah. Um, in 1902, Louis Gagnon, or whatever his name was, I can't, I, I, I flunked French, uh, flew a steam helicopter. Now, there's a contraption for you. Wait, 1902? 1902, flew a steam helicopter in Rosland, British Columbia, called the Flying Steam Shovel. I'll bet so. Uh, control problems caused a crash. <laughs> okay, so he didn't exactly fly it. Well, I mean... He, 
He crashed it. Yeah. Is this this, this is probably one of those aircraft that you always see on that 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 uh, uh, montage of of failed aircraft, you know, with the wings falling down and the 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 spinning, you know, rotors collapsing and, you know, this is probably one of those aircraft. Cuz, you know, if somebody had powered flight that worked in 1902, I think we would have heard about it. Regardless of how it was powered. Yeah, you know. Sir Hiram Stevens Maximum. Maxim, inventor of the Maxim gun, which I will click on in a moment, built and tested a large steam-powered aircraft. The machine generated sufficient lift and thrust to break free of the test track and fly, but was never operated as a piloted aircraft. That was in 1894. Yeah. It broke loose and flew far enough to flip over on its back and smash into a million pieces. I'm very dubious about this. I'm pretty cynical. Yeah. Um, in, in, in 1874, Felix Dutempel, or Dutempel fly, flew a steam-powered aluminum monoplane off a downhill run. Well, hell, I can do that. Um, while it did not achieve level flight, it was the first manned, heavier-than-air powered flight. This is according to this Wikipedia page. Okay. I'm not buying any of this, but okay. Give me one that's post-1903. Give me one that involved an airplane that really flew from point A to point B. Well, let's see. No? Okay. It'll be a homework assignment. We'll come 19, back to this. 1934, the Bessler steam-driven engine was okay. flown in, in, uh, in Oakland, California. All right. Okay. Now you're getting better. Did it? it, it, it and it didn't crash. And it didn't no. crash. Okay. Right. It, it, it did have trouble landing in front of the water towers, the jerk water towers at the railroad station, though. All right. I don't know what you're talking about, but all right. Well, that's where the water for the steam engines come from. Those oh, there's jerk, a long, jerk long water hose. Towers. The hose right. was a problem, right? That's why they put those towers next to railroad tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That. <laughs> yeah, no, that. Yeah, right. That I understand. Now all imagine right. trying to land your airplane next to it to get uh, water for your steam. Right. We'll do some research and see if there's bumpy. Well, you know, if you if you if you had a narrow enough undercarriage, and instead of inflated the tires, just uh, deflated the tires, so the rims would just roll on the tracks, I think you'd be okay. You'd have to figure out the nose wheel tail wheel thing, but you know, hey, moving on. Wow, oh, this on. thing even the Bessler steam plane it even had reverse range on the on, on the prop. He could reverse it, huh? I can't he could reverse decide. the prop. He could reverse the prop. The Would steam f- engine kept turning the same direction, but the drive reversed itself. Yeah, okay. Would you fly one of these, David? Uh, if somebody would check me out. Yeah, okay. All right. Oh, man. You should, you, you should know better than ask that question. Yeah. I know. That's as long as I don't have now. to shovel the coal. Yeah. No, yeah. oh, there, yeah. there is. Yeah, there is yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. So finally, let's see now. Um, so uh, uh, what's this article with from? Let's see now. How business travelers can be more successful flying private. So I'm assuming from the headline that this is a story touting the uh, the benefits of uh Using personal airplanes for business travel. Um, yes, yes, yes no? it is. It's from this a website a, called justlux.com. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a Rob Report uh, uh, publication. Mm-hmm. Um, can you summarize it, this article for us, Jeb? Uh, it, it basically is touting uh, the efficiencies and the benefits of uh, private aviation. Uh, and, in, and they do some bullet points here efficiency, confidentiality, <clears throat> personal safety. Safety and security. Um, um, no delays, no loss of business by canceled flights or 
or uh, um, you know issues like that that we all know and love with the airline industry. Um, the the last graph says clearly there are no guarantees when it comes to establishing or growing a business. However, when given the opportunity to maximize productivity by eliminating the amount of wasted time waiting in lines, navigating through airport security, and or flight delays, business executives have a distinct advantage in conducting business more efficiently and delivering more value and benefit to their clients and shareholders through the use of private aviation. And I don't think that's really in dispute. No. Well, it's not in dispute by those of us who are are familiar with this stuff. It's certainly in dispute by, like, you know... The people who want to kill aviation, the ATA—that's who it's in dispute by. I'm well, going back to my ATA conspiracy theory here. Well, this is, you know, we're talking about ATA and, of course, United Airlines. They're the same people that came up with um, Dave. What was that um, um, charter or uh, fractional or, or uh, uh, operation that United came up with years ago? I'm sorry. What was it? What was that? What was that um, um, charter Day-chat? operation? No, what was that charter operation that United Airlines came up with about 20 years ago? Oh, Avalar. Uh, yes, Avalar. Yeah, Avalar. Yeah. Yeah, it was going to run in seamless mesh with the uh, airline. And uh, yeah. the Avalar, I think it was a, a, their form of a fractional. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, you know, owning share or shares of one of their Avalar fleet airplanes also got you access to pickup and delivery to the airline terminal and access to their, you know, private high flyers club and so on and right. so forth. Well, if you peel the onion, I think Delta still has does some kind absolutely of a, some kind of a charter or or fractional operation using uh, business jets as opposed to airliners. Absolutely, do it's more of a charter uh, and an aircraft management operation, I believe, as opposed to right. Right. a right. fractional. Uh, but yeah, and. You know, there's all sorts of evidence out there at how well aircraft operating companies do relative to most of their competitors who don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, at a certain level, we know that the, the company Jet and, you know, having in-flight food that's catered by, you know, a, a sous chef from somewhere in Paris is... That stuff exists, and it's at the high levels where it's predominantly a perk. But the predominant use of business aircraft by most users is hauling mid-level executives and, and tech support people around to places where they have, uh, where the company has facilities. And very often, those locations don't have airline service. Yeah, that's right. No, absolutely. And that's the you know that's the story that people don't know about about you know small jets or business jets. Is that the most of them are not being used to shuttle, you know, a single big time exec from place to place? In, in well, uh, it's, it's, it's true for for piston aircraft also. It's true for that's right. Props. Yeah, um, they're they're not really being used to shepherd, you know, Warren Buffett around. Although that certainly certainly occurs, and and you know that's that's he can spend his money however he wants. Um, but um, you know, here I am in Sarasota, Florida, and I have frequent need to go to South Georgia. It's a five-hour drive. There is no airline service um, without going through Atlanta, which kind of defeats the purpose. Um, and it would be uh, probably take longer than five hours, all things considered, um, to, to get to where I want to go. I still have to rent a car. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell, it'll take you an hour after you get on the airplane just to get to the rental car counter at Hertzfield now. Exactly, exactly. So... Um, it's a no-brainer for a lot of these destinations where 
you know, maybe even maybe even one end of your your travels are at a, at a well-served airline hub, or not even a hub, but a node in the hub and spoke system. Um, but if you're going to somewhere that's off the beaten path, uh, it's a no-brainer. And and we've talked about this before. This should not be a yeah. revelation to anybody or any of our listeners for sure, for certain. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it was just just a nice little article here that I came across in this magazine that uh, uh, talked about some of the the virtues um, uh, of private aviation, business aviation, however you want to put it, uh, private aviation for business purposes. Yeah. So if you're looking for some ammunition when you're talking to people about the uh, the genuine benefits of uh, of general aviation, here's here's one bit of uh, of stuff that you can use from Just Lux L U X E Just L U X E dot com. Um, how business travelers can be more successful flying private, and we'll put a uh, link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, outs. Oh boy, we got oh, a couple I, oh, here. Oh, I got one. Okay, well, Jeb, why don't you go first? Oh, okay. Um, Jeppesen Company. This is not going to be a pleasant uh, um, a conversation. Oh no, what's uh, happened? Yeah. Well, I, today I get two emails. One sent at two o one p.m. And another one sent at 2.02 p.m. Okay, this is never good. Go ahead. Yeah, from Jeppesen. Jeppesen invoice reminder is the subject line. Dear You've been Jeppesen. Hal Shevard. Go I've ahead. Been, I, almost, yeah. Uh, dear Jeppesen valued customer, you're, please be advised uh, your NAV data services are due to expire on 30 September of, of 2011. Um, <clears throat> if you have made a payment against invoice number, yada, 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 in the last few days, thank you and disregard this message. Well... A, I've not received anything at all, whatso freaking ever, from Jeppesen. Uh, this all has to do with the, the database subscription on my uh, Garmin 530 in the panel of my airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have not seen an invoice from them. My mailbox was empty last time, I, last evening. I haven't been to it today. Um, haven't seen an invoice from Jeppesen. Boo, go to hell, anything from them. Uh, da, 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 da. So I click on the link here, and I go to, to the website. Now, here we are in the year 2011, and we're talking about Jeppesen, a, a company that kind of prides itself on its ability to crunch data and uh, automate things and, and things like this. Um, their interface and their um, um, methodology of navigating around and finding stuff and bringing up uh, um, um, my customer data uh, is reminiscent of um, Aeronav News back in the day before they revamped their website. I see. Okay. Okay. It's 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 just horrendous. And so I finally get to uh, this, and this is ten and fifteen minutes later. I finally get around to um, you know finding my account and and bringing some stuff up. And of course, I want to see, for example, um, recent orders. I want to see my history uh, of of things that I've purchased from Jefferson. Well, of course, that's not available right now. Uh, please come back later. And so then I finally navigate to some screen that, that uh, gives me some kind of uh, methodology or some kind of description of what's in this current invoice. And it lists three different um, database subscriptions. Now, part of the reason for the three different uh, database subscriptions is over the last year, because of the physical limitations on the um, the Garmin 530 uh, data card and the proliferation of terminal procedures, um, basically GPS-driven uh, uh, proliferation of, of terminal procedures, the, uh, the, the size of the data card is, has become too small for 
the entire Americas subscription that I used to get. Now, the, the, the Jefferson Americas subscription includes South America, North America, Central America, uh, and you know, basically, as the name implies, all of the Americas. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I don't need South America. I'm not going to South America too often, uh, at least in my debonair. So, um, anyway, come up with three different subscriptions to three different data plans, uh, none of which are really all that cheap. And I get, go to, you know, try to pay the invoice, and it's telling me I owe them $1,275. Okay. Which, which is, and there's no way to separate out the one of the three subscriptions that I do wish to continue. When they, when they uh, um, uh, divvied up all these subscriptions here over the year, over the last year, they basically put me down for all three of these, letting me choose. But there's no way to click a link and saying, no, I want to I I uh, uh, discontinue uh, these three, and only, I really want, only want to pay for this one. So they really want me to pay $1,275 to renew this subscription. And at that point, I just kind of said, no, I'll call somebody later next week yeah. uh, to deal with this. But this is just absurd. They, they ought to be able to have figured this out by now. And, and uh, you know, maybe they're geared to the corporate accounting department who pays people uh, you know, large sums of money to, to deal with this kind of nonsense. But for the single operator who really has other stuff to do, this is not helpful. And uh, I, I kind of expect a little bit better from Jefferson, and I will be telling them so next week. Okay. Report back. Tell us how it turns out. Oh, I'm sure it'll turn out marvelously. <laughs> David, what do you got? Uh, well, first off, as a shout-out to Liliana Tellamonte and Detlef Wayne. Hewan, Hewan. Oh, you were doing so good there for a minute, too. I was so yeah. impressed with that Liliana thing. Yeah. Liliana Tellamonte and Ooh. Detlef Hewan, who are producing a film called On the Wings of Dreams. Uh, they call it an adventurous and romantic documentary film that celebrates friendship and flying around the world. Uh, and they're doing it in their RV. That is the RV, I believe it's a 7 that, that they built themselves. Mm-hmm. Looks like a 6, except it's a little bigger. Hmm. Uh, and we met uh, and visited for about 45 minutes at Sun and Fun this year, uh, the day after the tornado, when I was walking among tied-down airplanes uh, trying to get st- stories of people's damage and stories on their custom panels. And they had both. Mm-hmm. Well, today they sent me a link with a trailer, about a two-and-a-half-minute uh, video that's the uh, preview for their movie, 2.49, 2 minutes, 49 seconds, all HD, good sound, very professional. Highly recommend you at least check out the trailer and then decide whether you'd be interested in their DVD when it's finished uh, in a few more months. But this is a really cool couple. They've built their RV. Uh, they've been flying around the world. They uh, they got married while flying around the world. Uh, and now they're uh, living and working on this in the Dominican Republic. Uh, very cool. Great fun. Great very, fun. Very, very cool. Yeah, we'll, uh, obviously we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I'll probably also put the video out on the blog, too, so people can take a look at it there. So check one of oh, the yeah. places for the, for the video. That's great. You said you had two? Yeah, I got two. Uh, old uh, old friend. Uh, it's not like we hung out together a long time, but we s- sat together 
broken bread together, chipped a beverage together, worked a couple of the same things, appeared on the same TV show together. Uh, Clay Lacey, who's one of uh, one of the world's great pilots, uh, owner of Clay Lacey Aviation, is one of the country's first Learjet dealerships back in the early 60s. Uh, has been uh, uh, named as an inductee into the Kansas Aviation Hall of Fame. Cool. And Clay grew up just west of what was then the Wichita city limits and used to bike to the airport over on the far east side of town to watch airplanes take off. Uh, He set a record, a speed record in a 747 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, He invented some of the camera equipment and flew the platform airplanes used in motion picture making where aerial scenes or in-flight combat scenes like all the air-to-air combat stuff that you see in uh, Top Gun for example his mm-hmm. his invention, the camera mount that lets him do that in one of his Learjets uh, man's a lot of fun, big heart, big sense of humor, and well we got a Tex Johnston, the guy who was famous for rolling a 707 during a, a public flight in Seattle. Mm-hmm. He's being inducted. Test pilot, yeah, SR-71, test pilot Ken Collins. And our own uh, old friend, uh, the now late uh, Mickey Axton. Uh, she was a WASP pilot, a uh, posthumous recipient of the Congressional Gold Medal. Uh Hell of a lady. Uh, the CAF named the local CAF wing named their PT twenty three trainer after her. It's called Miss Mickey. So they're all receiving uh, awards at the uh, Kansas Aviation Museum's Hall of Fame banquet in November. Uh, congratulations to all of them. Uh, Clay, I look for you there. Cool, cool, yeah. Uh, my shout-out is, uh, so a couple episodes ago, I told the story of uh, all of the adventures I had at AcroCamp, and uh, in in my excitement of telling that story, I neglected to, and I spoke about the FBO that we uh, that was our host, and I think I told about how we, uh, we set up camp on their second floor and set up cots and sleeping bags and whatnot. In, in my excitement, I, I was remiss in not naming them um, and thanking them very publicly for their hospitality. Um, the, uh, the FBO, or the flight training operation, is called BERS Flight Training. It's B-E-R-Z Flight Training. Uh, and uh, the although there's a number of people in uh, involved with the organization, the two that were sort of our active hosts were Cindy and Todd of, uh, of Burr's Flight Training. Um, they, were, they were just very, they're very fun people to begin with, um, and uh, although they sort of stayed out of our way, um, and, and we really, you know, they were very, very understanding because we basically took over this building. They uh, they operate out of a, a former house, a very small house there that's at the edge of the airfield, and uh, they they have their offices and and lounge and you know uh, there's a little kitchen there on the first floor. And uh, I think they thought we were going to be up on the second floor with our cots and sleeping bags, but we basically took over the first floor, and they were very, very understanding. We used their deck for a party, and uh, um, and uh, um, but but when they stopped by, they were very friendly and very accommodating, and and very interested and supportive of of what we were all doing there at Acro Camp. So I want to thank them, thank uh, Cindy and Todd, uh, and everybody from Burr's Flight Training, um, and you can learn more about them at flyburrs.com. It's fly b e r z dot com. Very uh, cool. Thanks to them. Any other shout-outs? I'm good. Okay. Okay. 
Well, that's it then. Dave Higdon is a uh, aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Avbuyer.com, AEA.net, EAA.org, uh, or just do a Google search. And remember, I don't play golf, and my physics aren't that theoretical. And Jeb Burnside, a freelance aviation writer and editor, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com, uh, JEBurnside.com, uh, sometimes AEA.net, sometimes AvWeb.com. Uh, just don't Google me. You, won't, you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Well, now I do. <laughs> and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at uh, jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes and for uh, increasingly helping more and more with the production of this podcast. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? Best way to live long, be happy, is to go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Remember that. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Get out the fork. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.